The nature of venture is that you want to back people who are taking big swings. And so if some of them don't fail, I think that's a sign that you're not taking enough risk. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. God, my date, one hour. We got to go. I like to think I'm up on the latest things, the trendy stuff, the viral stuff, the TikTok stuff. But I had never heard of Marriage Pact. Hey, guys, it's Kira. Um, A few weeks ago, a Marriage Pact survey was sent out to, like, every student at UVA or something like that. And I took it, and I'm looking to see if they can match me with my perfect soulmate or at least a cool friend. I don't know. Who could say? Let's find out. What if we had people take a 40 or 50 question quiz about their values and what they care about? And then we match them with their best backup match. So it's not supposed to be your soulmate. It's supposed to be the best backup option. The always be my maybe thing. Exactly. That's Christina Malaskiriazzi of Bain Ventures. So Marriage Pact is a very interesting phenomenon that started on the Stanford campus And the founder of Marriage Pact, Liam, was in an econ class that was studying market design, which actually happened to be my favorite econ class at Stanford, too. So we bonded over that. And he said, what are are efficient and inefficient markets? Well, dating is a pretty inefficient market. Um, And how do we find you your perfect match? She's invested her firm's money in, among other things— Marriage Pact, which has matched 131,000 people on 78 college campuses. So everybody on campus takes a quiz, and then after the end of the quiz, they get paired with someone on campus, and it just went viral, and it took off. And year after year on the Stanford campus, I think like 90% of the whole student body would participate in this. And then other campuses— heard about it and said, we want to do this. Astonishing. It's amazing. And so, you know, this founder had an insight about young people and what they cared about. And he decided to just go build something. And it struck fire. Have you ever run your husband through it? Yes. So Marriage Pack launched an app called Checkmate. 
which we can all download. And you can take a quiz. And what was the score? We're like 90%. Oh, good. 92%. Yeah, it'd be terrifying if you suddenly say it's 40%. You're like, thank goodness. Thank goodness. I have like a 96% compatibility with the founder. I think I might run all future founders through this. Right. Like how compatible Wait, hold are on. We? You have a more compatible you're more compatible with the founder than you are your own husband? With this this quiz, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you always have a backup plan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but how do you make money off of it? I mean, how does it make money? Well, it doesn't right now. And the question is we don't know. And so in consumer social, and anytime, you know, you're trying to build a company that consumers come on, especially one in social media monetization is kind of the second-order question. If you have people's time and attention, most of the time you can find a way to make money, whether that's consumer subscriptions, which is the holy grail for consumer companies, or advertisements, which is good, but not as good as subscriptions, um, or you can sell people things. There's a lot of ways. In this company, I think the ideal would be subscriptions that you could provide so much value to people in their life that they will pay you. And Tinder's done it, and Bumble's done it. Actually, dating apps make a lot of money. Well, the irony, though, here is that you have found the right person, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's it, hopefully it's a one-time shot. Hopefully. But as you know, with you know many dating apps, they don't want to just give you one option. But making money is not their goal this minute. I hope eventually it is, but we'll see. Malas Kiriazi is a new partner at Bain, but a longtime investor and venture capital scout and former product manager at GoFundMe. You funded three companies in the relatively short time that you've been at Bain. Um, is there pressure to get more money out into the system to get that deployed? There is not pressure. But you were just nodding. <laughs> I think that... Um, Venture is a weird job because you spend a lot of time doing things, and the way that you feel productive is by making investments. Um, but that's not always the right decision. The right decision is to make sure you make good investments. And so if there are periods of time where you're more active and less active, that ends up being okay. So, you know, we always keep the bar high. We want to back founders that we think are going to disrupt industries and be category-defining investments. And so ideally that results in a consistent pace. Um, but if if there are some clusters of high activity and low activity, that's part of the game. Low activity, before you were at Bain, you were an angel investor. Have you had something that you just fell flat on your face on? Because I think that would be the most instructive, right? Is we'd all be afraid of writing that check to that company that just botches it. Um, and, it, you know, we, everybody pays attention to our success. Uh, but the one that just botched it. There are a lot of companies I've backed that have just botched it, you know? And I, I don't want to specifically point no, to I'm fingers. No, I'm not asking you to. But I think that the nature of venture is that you want to back people who are taking big swings. And so if some of them don't fail, I think that's a sign that you're not taking enough risk. You know, the journey I had as an angel investor, I made almost 30 investments. And yeah, I think the, 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 my main learning through all of that was just the founder matters a lot more than the idea. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it was like, I almost didn't even care what they were building. If they 
if someone came to me and I got to know them and I understood that they were going to run through walls, I was like, here's a check. You've said you're a product manager at heart. Yes. Well, how does that lend itself to being as you advise these companies? So being a product manager at heart for me has a few pieces. The first one is obs- like obsession with, with the customer and the problem that you're solving. And really thinking from first principles around what problem are you solving and is it possible to solve that problem? And if so, what's standing in your way? And then how do we go try and solve it? Um, And that's actually something I learned at a firm from working with Max Levchin was an obsession with solving really hard problems and trying to dig in and understand if it's possible to solve that problem, then, then go make it happen. You know, if you tell me that it's impossible from a physics perspective, okay. But if it's hard or you don't have enough resources or you can't, you know, figure out how to find the right vendor to do something, those are all problems that you need to go figure out. You were a venture scout for a while. Explain to me what a venture scout is. So a scout is somebody that uh, works loosely, you know, with a venture firm to make angel investments. And I think scouts have proliferated in the industry over the last 10, 20 years. Um, I was part of Sequoia's program, which was fantastic. We have a program at BCV2 where we partner really deeply with operators who have unique networks or a unique point of view on whatever they're building. And I think scouts, the, the, the best scouts are ones that have a lot of in intellectual and social capital, but not a lot of real capital yet. <laughs> and so there's like a mismatch where you can help them by saying, hey, we'll we'll give you some money. We've got to the invest. money. You've got, you've got the you're ideas out there in the, seeing in the all of this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so um, as as a scout, I uh, invested a lot in, in fintech companies, areas that were adjacent to a firm where I thought this this is a really good idea. This should exist, but I can't clone myself a hundred times. I can't work for all these companies instead. Like, why don't I go give them a little money and be part of their journey? Um, and so I think scouting is a good way for, uh, it was a good way for me to stay connected to what was happening on the ground. And then also just exercise my product muscle even more of like, how do you help people go from zero to one? And how do you help people navigate through the winding path of finding product market fit, which many people don't get to. But when you do, it's like beautiful and magical. And when you're at, when when you're scouting or when you're angel investing versus when you're at a company building product, like the thing that you can do as an early company is you can move so fast. The larger the companies get, shipping product just takes more time. There's more alignment. There's more internal you know, we need to figure out what we're building and and we have a code base. When you're a new company, like, you have an idea, you have nothing standing in the way. Like, just go build that fast. And that is is powerful. Um, And so as a scout, I wanted to find those people and help them build the things, in particular, that I thought should exist, 
but for a lot of different reasons, couldn't exist in either the company I was at or in other large companies. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.com. Edu slash podcast. You've now recruited scouts of your own. Uh, a bit unusual. Walk me through that. Uh, pretend like I do not know anything about the the people that you have recruited. So walk you through who who I've recruited. Yes. Um. A lot of the people I've recruited are amazing operators or founders that have uh, really interesting networks and perspectives. And I've also recruited meme accounts right. online <laughs> who have great followings and distribution um, and want to get into investing. So those are my two categories. So maybe start— And obviously I'm interested in the so meme accounts. Let's start with the let's more start, yeah, start, Right. And to those who don't understand what a meme account is. So a meme account is— they often start as jokes. Um, some are anonymous, some are not, where people make fun of something. On social media. On social media. Um, and I think memes are this very powerful, emergent form of communication where, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. I think a meme is worth like 10,000 words. And it can capture the zeitgeist in a really interesting way. Um, and so the meme accounts really started taking off over COVID because we were all stuck at home and we didn't have anything to do other than look at Twitter and Instagram. And, and so some of these really genius commentators on society started going viral. And one of those was Liquidity, who um, was commenting on the macro and kind of making fun of what was happening with either the Fed printing a lot of money and the stock market going crazy or, you know, making fun of finance culture at banks or in investment firms. And it just really captured the attention of everybody on the internet. And since then, there are like thousands of meme accounts of, of different scale. And I find they always have like an interesting connection and they're in touch with the culture. Like, mm -hmm. what's relevant? Where are we headed? Um, they can even help drive that culture in many cases. And so, as scouts, it's untraditional. But I've found it's been really uh, a valuable partnership. 
as they get into the world making fun of whatnot or, or attracting attention, they get to know many of the people in the industry. Yeah. Uh, and that is how they are able to scout for you. That's right. That's right. And people often come to them because founders will come to them and say, hey, I think my product will resonate with your community. What do you think? Um, and so instead of just paying them in the normal way, like a pay-for-post, which is what a lot of influencers on Instagram do, they will be able to invest in that company and have like a much more aligned partnership of, yeah, I'm going to help bring this company to my community because I'm al- I am I believe it should exist. And I think that kind of alignment is different than the kind of classic creator partnerships that have mostly happened on Instagram where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to sell this like gummy bear, you know, vitamins and I'm going to go find Kylie Jenner and have, you know, pay her $100,000 to post this. Um, I think this is a much, a much more, you know, Silicon Valley native, like aligned way of saying, how do you get people who are influencers and who have audiences on your cap table to help you understand what your customers want and then also get in front of them and see see what resonates. And so, there, you know, there, there have been a number of examples where I, I've seen that work well. Now, have you had anything actually pass through and work or is it too early days? Yeah, I think it's I think it's early days. There are a few, you know, investments that um that liquidity in particular has made because of his seat as a creator that he's seen early and that have worked well. Like he invested in a Substack competitor um that, you know, is early days but is is growing well and he actually builds his newsletter on this technology. And so he was working with them and he said this is this is exactly what I need as a creator building a newsletter. This is a great tool. I'm going to invest. And so that's like another example of um, the benefits of, of that seat and that kind of partnership. What do you know now that you didn't know when you started at Bain? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good question because there's a few, you know, different dimensions of, um, of things I— things I now know. One about like the the role of like being at a venture firm mm-hmm. is is one big bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, another big bucket is just the uh the role of timing in in these venture cycles as well. I've had a very interesting year and a half in venture because when I joined, we were in a large bull run for the last 15 years. And there was a lot of, the last 10, 15 years in Silicon Valley was a lot of software built by startups for startups. And the macro was really just, you know, low interest rates, great macro environment. And then after I joined, we had a big crypto bubble. And even in like a year and a half, we've seen a bubble gum and kind of deflate and a new rise of like a platform shift, which is AI. And so some, you know, they say some decades, a year goes by and some years, a decade goes by. And I feel like my last year in venture, a decade has gone by, both in terms of market cycle and in terms of like a new platform shift that 
is going to create trillions of dollars of enterprise value. And so I feel very fortunate to have gone through what I believe is like a compressed cycle. Mm, Very much so. In like a year and a half. And so I think some of the learnings from from that for me have been like, one, first principles thinking. Pay attention to what's happening, but dig deep and like really try to go understand the technology. And two, like have a long-term orientation because um, you do need to, big, great outcomes are unlocked by platform shifts or new technology or why now? And and that seems to be happening now with AI. Um, And so I feel lucky for my timing. Um, And then, you know, the third thing is I've learned a ton from my partners at, at Bain Capital Ventures who have been doing this for 25 years, who have given me the perspective and patience of like, this is a long game. Like, separate the noise from the from the reality. Because I think as an angel investor, you're just like, oh yeah, hype. Like, this person's in this investment. Like, this is doing that. We we need to go back to basics. And we also need to, to look outwards outside the bubble and say like, how do we build technology for industries outside of technology? Um, and we and we have the benefit at Bain Capital of owning a number of large private equity companies and uh, in, across a lot of industries, healthcare, industrials, retail. And so spending more time, like actually understanding what's happening outside of this bubble has been really beneficial. So th- those are a few of my learnings, but I feel really fortunate for both this seat and my partnership and also just having seen sort of a few fast technology cycles really quickly to keep me focused on fundamentals and on the long term. It is the paradox of venture capital that it may take 10 years to know whether or not you succeeded or 10 years to know whether or not you failed. That's right. And uh, that was a journey that I was excited to sign up for because you only get one life and there's no nothing I'd rather be doing than supporting you know, founders going from zero to one, trying to navigate the messy beginnings of starting a company. Um, and so, yeah, I said, okay, I'll, I'll take the risk of 10 years later, you know, not waiting that long to know if I'm any good at this. Christina Malaskariazzi, partner at Bain Capital Ventures. Next week on Sand Hill Road. I got to tell you, I was like the coolest mom on earth for like a fair bit of time. And I said, you cannot tell your friends, Zane. Like this is like, you know, cone of silence, NDA. And uh, and yeah, the fact that, you know, I had a company with GPT-4 made me perhaps the coolest mom on earth. <laughs> Rebecca Lynn of Canvas Ventures becomes one of the first venture investors to invest in and then very profitably exit from an AI startup. Sandhill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.